Well, um, Toby and Mary Pat, we're so glad you guys are back. It's a joy. Well, um, Toby and Mary Pat, we're so glad you guys are back. It's a joy. Recently, and uh, what a joy to see. They do there what we do here. They were loving their neighbors, and Toby would go down and play basketball with a bunch of kids at the college and just build relationships and share the love of Christ with them. And it was an absolutely fantastic, fantastic experience. Um, well, um, Toby and Mary Pat, we're so glad you guys are back. It's a joy. Well, um, Toby and Mary Pat, we're so glad you guys are back. It's a joy. Half here at the church, a number of people have passed significant anniversary markers, and every month we're setting out uh, an opportunity for you in the, in the table to encourage our staff for their faithfulness and service to our church. Daniel Creswell, our worship pastor, has been now more than 10 years, uh, close to a dozen years on our staff. And if you would like to honor him with a little encouragement, um, there's a table in the lobby where you can do that. And we... We set it up to where Daniel's month would be December, and this is why. <laughs> this is what Daniel looks like when Christmas gets close. Um, he, that is Daniel. He is OCD. He has obsessive Christmas disorder, and uh, this, was, this was cited uh, last night at our staff elder Christmas party. Um, want to encourage you, too, uh, with the, the results thus far of our Journey of Faith Capital campaign that we renew every year to help our church be debt-free. Our goal is to be that way in four years, and uh, hopefully you can see this. Our total financially so far is if we hit $177,000, which is where we were last year, uh, we'll be debt-free in 2019. And so far, we have accomplished about 80% of that goal. There's about 20% remaining. And uh, the next chart shows um, how many North Wakers are not participating. About almost half of our church is not yet participating in this. Um, let me just say real clearly, we need your help. Your church needs your help. And your involvement in prayer and in giving generously to this particular need is much needed. And so you have received information. If you're a member of our church, you know about this need. I trust that in the next couple of weeks, you'll, you'll engage with us because we, we need everyone's help. Uh, the smallest of amounts, Tom Iverson, one of our elders, encouraged us last week, really does truly matter. So let's, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll open, our, open up the scriptures this morning. God, we thank you for meeting all of our needs. You, you are generous beyond what we deserve, surely, surely. And uh, we give thanks for Daniel Cresswell. He's a joy to our church. Thank you for gifting him uh, in the way that you have and for gifting him to our church family. We pray that you would bless him this season. Um, and through our words of encouragement, we might be part of that. And now we open up the scriptures and say, God, show us who you are that we might know what it means to love you and follow you with all of our hearts. Help us with that now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, as you may know, I, I live in Franklin County. Um, it's uh, the county, next county north. And so our kids participate in Franklin County school system. And uh, it's still, it's a little more rural than Wake County. Thankfully, 
okay? We, we, we like it that way up there. Uh, there are more tractors and pickups than cars still. You get up in the Franklinton area. And uh, at, at Franklin, Franklin High School is a small school, rural high school. And I remember a couple years ago, something happened that really kind of surprised me. There was kind of a, a, all, of, all of a buzz in the gym at one of our basketball games. Um, and word was that Roy Williams, the coach of the Tar Heels, was at Franklinton High School. And I'm thinking, what is he doing here? Because let's just be honest. I mean, it's a lot of fun watching basketball in Franklin County, but there are better places. If you're Roy Williams, one of the top, and depending on color blue you wear, the, the top basketball coach in the nation, perhaps, right? Uh, there are better places for you to be watching basketball, probably than, than Franklinton High School. And so I, start, I, I ask the question, what is he doing here? And I find out that the team that we're playing, there's a player he's recruiting. That player proceeded to shred us in that, that game. Um, but he was recruiting. So, so Roy was there because there's somebody he's interested in. In a sense, there's somebody he's after. That's why Roy, Roy was there. Um, now, when you walk by one of those little creches, right, a, a nativity scene, we call it. It's out in front of the churches, maybe, or you've got one in your house, and you look down and you see, in the midst of animals and in a feeding trough, a little baby, you should ask the same question. What is he doing there? Um, not just because it's odd to find babies in feed troughs generally, um, though that's a, it's a good question, why is he there? Maybe that's a question for social services these days, but we want to ask it about that baby in particular because of what we saw from the biography of Jesus in John's gospel last week in John chapter 1. We read these words. In the beginning was the word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we scroll down just a few more verses. We read this. We read that that same Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So we saw last week in John chapter 1, that this word, who both was with God and yet at the same time at the beginning of creation was God, became a mere child, took on flesh, took on the name Jesus, and now is that babe lying in that manger scene. What is he doing there? God has become one of us, as Joan Osborne wondered. Amidst animals and straw, he has dwelt among us. He has. The Word has. The Word who was with God in the beginning and was God. This is a wonderful thing that the child born at Christmas was God come to earth as a babe. 
And this wonder caused um, Augustine, 1,600 years ago, to pen these lines. He said, man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast, that the bread might hunger, the fountain thirst, the light sleep, the way be tired on its journey, that the truth might be accused of false witness, the teacher be beaten with whips, the foundation be suspended on wood, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, and that life might die. We, we sing, whenever we sing um, one of those great carols, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. This is what we're singing about. These lyrics, Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the favored one, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel, God with us. Last week we saw that the child in the manger is God. What is he doing there? And that in that same rather mysterious telling of the Christmas story in that same chapter in John 1, John gives us amongst the most beautiful of answers. And I, I want us to think about that together. We're going to look at John chapter 1 in order to answer the question, what is he doing here? So look first at verses 4 and 5 in your Bibles in John chapter 1, where it says of the word, who would be born as Jesus, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So one reason that Jesus came to be on that first Christmas morn was in order to be a light. It's a rich idea, this idea of light in the Bible, and John doesn't really narrow it down much for us here. He lets us just wonder about the richness of that imagery. You know, light, light can represent truth, for instance, in the Bible. It can represent God in all of his goodness in opposition to godlessness in all of its darkness. John would repeatedly record in his writing of this gospel, Jesus referring to himself as the light of the world. And down just uh, a couple more verses in verse 9, we read John say of Jesus that the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. One of the, one of the meanings of the idea of light is, is truth or revelation. And when he says Jesus is light, one of the things involved in that meaning probably is that Jesus shows God to us. Jesus brings light to a dark world and that he shows us what God is like. In the midst of a dark world, Jesus is light, the true light that shows us God. And he does this for everyone, it says. This idea becomes most clear in the last verse of our passage. Look down at verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he's speaking of the word, the only God who is at the Father's side, 
He has made him known. So the true light has come into the world and made known God to us, the Father to us. He says, no one has ever seen God. You know, in the Old Testament, if you were to see God, uh, we would say face to face, right? Uh, Mano imano with God, unfiltered. Um, That was an unbearable count an encounter for any person. It would be life-threatening to see God that way. So that whenever in the Old Testament somebody sees some kind of represent, representation of God, God shows up as the angel of God, or um, in some form God shows himself um, in a much hidden and reduced way, after people realize they've seen God, they're always surprised to be alive. For instance, way back in the book of Genesis, Jacob had one of those curious encounters with the angel of God, and, and he called the name of the place after that encounter Peniel, saying, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. He, he would have expected to die had he, had he seen God in the fullness of his glory. Um, now, the one exception who claims to have seen God fully is Jesus himself. Jesus writes in John chapter 6, or John records Jesus in in John chapter 6, not that anyone has seen the Father, Jesus says, except he who is from God. Jesus is referring to himself. He has seen the Father. So there's an exception. Someone has seen the Father. And that someone is Jesus. Our our verse continues, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So the only God who is at the Father's side, that's a reference again um, to the Trinity. We believe in one God in three persons, blessed Trinity, the song goes, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Son, God the Son here is in view at the Father's side. He has made God known to us. So because of his extraordinary knowledge of God the Father, remember the Word was with God in the beginning, right? And because he too is God, remember the Word was God, because he both was God and was with God, he now the only God at the Father's side is able to make him known. So that Jesus will later say in John's gospel, in John 14, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. To see Jesus, then, is to see the Father, to see God. There are other 
writers in the New Testament that put the same idea in different words. Here's, here's Paul's writing in Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus, Paul's writing about, he says he's the image of the invisible God. The writer of Hebrews says he, again writing of Jesus, the Son, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He holds the universe by the word of his power. So, you want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. Okay. If you want to know what, what God is like, look at Jesus. He explains him. Those of you who are in seminary, the language there um, could be rendered, he exegetes him. Okay. So, New Year's challenge. January comes around. Read one of the biographies of Jesus. There are four in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Pick one, read it in January. Um, because if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. John's gospel, the one we're talking about today, would be a great place to start. Now, Jesus is, is not just saying that he is a way to know God. He is claiming to be the way to know God. No one has seen God, Jesus says, except me. So no one can reveal God except me. Listen to how John writes about this later in his letters. In 1 John chapter 2, he says, No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. In his second letter, 2 John, he says, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. They're inseparable. They go together. And Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Um, I was helped by a, an illustration that has its roots in uh, a pastor named Mark Dever. The context for the, the conversation in this story was um, trying to figure out if you worship the true God, and especially it's related to whether or not, the question whether, whether or not Muslims worship the true God. And he said, imagine that you have two old classmates from college discussing a common friend from 30 years ago. Um, let's, let's change it. Let's make, them, let's make them from high school. Two old classmates from high school. And they begin to wonder if they're talking about an old, they're talking about an old friend. They wonder if they're talking about the same person. And one of them's convinced they are, and the other keeps thinking this is not quite the way they remember their friend. So finally, they dig out an old yearbook to see if they're talking about the same person. Now, let's imagine that they're talking about me. So here's an old yearbook picture. Um, it's really a bad picture, but uh, one I wanted you to know, I'm in the top 10. Okay? There's, there's like 12 kids in my class. I was in the top 10. It was a small town. In the Midwest. Um, and secondly, I, I want to know if you can, there's a distinguishing feature. Can you pick me out? The sweater vest. Right. Exactly. Hey, l listen. Listen. If it ain't broke. Right? 
Yeah, that's me, right there, uh, in the sweater vest. And so the two friends would look and say, well, did your friend wear a sweater vest? And he'd say, no. And he said, well, that's not Larry. And that's, it's not the same Larry Trotter that I, that I thought he knew. And Mark Dever goes on and says that um, Jesus, as he is revealed in the, in the, um, as he's revealed in the Bible, Jesus is that picture in the yearbook that helps you determine whether or not you're thinking about the same person, whether or not you're worshiping the same God. So he says, when a Muslim and a Christian who've been discussing whether they are worshiping the same God look at God in the yearbook, it settles the matter. No, says the Muslim, that's not who I'm talking about. But that is who the Christian is talking about. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Jesus makes known the invisible God for us to see. In John 14.8, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. It's enough for us. And Jesus responded, Have I been with you so long you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. In other words, Dever says, Jesus is the yearbook picture that settles the issue of who is worshiping the true God and who is not. If a worshiper of God does not see in Jesus Christ the person of his God, he does not worship the true God. See, these are Jesus' claims. These are his own claims to be the only sure way that a person can know God. The only sure way you can know what the heavenly Father is like. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Now, um, there's, a, there's a comedian. His name is Louis C.K. Um, he was on Saturday Night Live a while back, and he shared his beliefs at that point about the impossibility of atheism. This is what he says. He says, now, I'm, I'm not religious, he says. I don't know if there's a God. That's all I can say, honestly. I don't know. Some people can say they, they know there isn't a God. He says, that's a weird thing. It's a weird thing you can say you know there is no God. Are you sure? Yes, there's no God. How do you know? Because I didn't see him. He says, but how do you know? He says, there's a vast universe. You can see for about 100 yards when there's not a building in the way. How can you possibly know? Did you look everywhere? Did you look in the downstairs bathroom? No, I haven't seen him yet. And he says, well, I haven't seen the film 12 Years as a Slave yet, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist, right? And so he says, we can't not, we can't know that there's no God. He says we should, we should be agnostic. And John here says we can do better than just say you ought to be agnostic about that issue. He says Jesus has made God known. Look at Jesus and you can know what God is like for real and for sure. So if you're here this morning because Christmas is close and someone you love dragged you here, but you aren't sure if God exists or what he's like, then you should read John's gospel in the New Testament of a Bible. 
And you should look closely at Jesus. He will show you the Father like no one else could. He will make him known to you as only a son can. See, it's that whole like father, like son thing. Okay? The way we think about it in our own families is just a small um, kind of a glimpse of what it's like with the heavenly father and the heavenly son, like father, like son. There's a tremendous family resemblance often. For instance, okay, I'm the one on the right, okay? We have the same deformed hands, as you can tell. Um, there's this tremendous family resemblance, in not only in what you see, but what you hear, right? You call my house, and if my boys are there, and they pick up the phone, it's really hard to tell who it is, which one it is. We, we all sound kind of alike. You know, it's kind of a like father, like son thing. And then, and then it's, you know, like son, like son. So much so that my, my youngest son, Josiah, who's coached by his middle brother, Andrew, at football, can impersonate his brother, who is the coach. <laughs> so one day he sneaks up behind a kid and he says, uh, Christian, what are, what are you doing? Take a lap. Christian takes off running because <laughs> Josiah sounds just like his brother Andrew, right? Like father, like son. You want to know what the father's like? Listen to the son. Look at the son. You can learn a lot. And in the case of the heavenly father and, and the heavenly son, it's a precise, exact resemblance. The message, Eugene Peterson renders it this way. No one has ever seen God, but, but this one-of-a-kind God expression who exists at the very heart of the Father, he has made him as plain as day. See, the one who knows the Father as his one and only Son, Jesus, he has made him known to us so that we can know him as Father, not just know about him, recognize him, but know him as our father. If we backed up just a few verses in verse 12 and 13 of our passage, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of God, of man rather, but of God. See, precisely because Jesus knows God as Father, he can grant us the right to become children of God. Because he was with God in the beginning and he was God, he can show us God and grant us the right to become children of God, not just to know about God as Father, but to know him as father, to be his children, this word who was with God and who was God, whom John the Baptist pointed to and said, this is the light, who became flesh and dwelt among us on that Christmas morn. He has come in the world to bring us back into God's family as his children. And that's absolutely an amazing privilege. See, 
The Bible describes being God's child as the, the most amazing thing in, on earth. It's the one thing that you don't want to miss in this life, that you would get to be called God's child, not by creation, but by adoption through faith. Because if you're God's child, you are loved in an exceptional way by God. John writes about it in 1 John 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. By faith in Christ, we are much loved, lavishly loved children of the Father. You know, Jesus often talked about inviting us into the love that he has with the Father. That to be a child, we're a child in that sense like him. We are loved like him. In John 17, he says, as he prays to, to God his Father, he says, I made known to them, my disciples, your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them that we would know the love of the Father the way Jesus knows the love of the Father. A little bit earlier in John chapter 14, he says, he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. John 15, you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. That's the wrong coordinate. Let me give it to you, the actual verse. It says, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. We are loved by God. We are invited into the love the Father has for his only son. When we are his children, we share in that. We share in his inheritance as children. Romans chapter 8 says, the Spirit bears himself, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. So we share in the inheritance that belongs to Christ. All the glory that Jesus has in communion with God the Father, he makes a way for us to share in. And while that, the fullness of that inheritance is future, we right now have the privilege of God's children. Then we come to God and we pray to him as our father. That's how Jesus taught us to pray. Pray like this. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. See, this is why Jesus came to show us the father, to explain him to us as a loving and good father, and to give us the right to become his children. What is he doing here? That is what he's doing here. He came to help us move beyond agnosticism, that there might be a God out there somewhere. I can't know. Beyond some vague belief in a higher power. He came that we might know God as Father, to no longer be strangers, but to be his children. And John, he tells us how in those verses. It says, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. By believing in his name, by believing in who he is, 
and the work that he has done, believing that Jesus is God come in the flesh to rescue us. By believing that the babe in the manger grew to become the man on the cross who did not die because of his own wrong deeds and sins, but ours to make a way for us back to God, to know God as Father. See, he says, this is the work of God, not men. And that's why the Bible talks about this, this right to become children of God as a gift. Even, it likes to use the language, a free gift. Just to make the point, Paul says in Romans 5, if because of one man's trespass, that is Adam's sin, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. It's a free gift over and over and over, Paul calls it in that passage, a free gift. We didn't earn it. And again, um, that's why the language of adoption is used. In Ephesians chapter 1, we read that in love, God predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in with the beloved. See, this is God's kind work. He gives us the gift of faith to believe on Christmas that the Word, who in the beginning was with God and who was God, that on Christmas the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, making God known to us, making a way for us to become children of God. That is what He is doing here, doing in that stable, in that manger, so meek and lowly. That is why He went to the cross to bear the, to bear the penalty for our sins so we would no longer be strangers to God, only knowing of Him, but rather welcomed into relationship with him as children, and knowing him as our good and loving father. There's a story um, by an author named Mary Ann Bird. Many of you are familiar with it. It's one of Rob Craig's favorite stories. And uh, it's from her book, The Whisper Test. And she, she says, um, I grew up knowing I was different, and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate, and when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others, a little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When schoolmates asked what happened to your lip, I'd tell them I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade whom we all adored, Mrs. Leonard by name. She was short, round, and happy, a sparkling lady, and annually we had a hearing test. Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class, and finally it was my turn, and I knew from past years that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something, and we would have to repeat it back, things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes? She says, I waited there for those words that God must have put into her mouth, those seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said in her whisper, I wish you were my little girl. 
And then she writes, God says to every person deformed by sin, I wish you were my son. I wish you were my daughter. So what is he doing there in the manger? He has come for you. He has come to offer you the right to become children of God. See, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the great satisfaction, the great satisfying payment for our sins. And for those of us who are God's children, who have welcomed and received that gift, who believe in his name, what we are about to do is to remember how it came about that we were offered the right to become children of God. On the night on which he was betrayed, Jesus gathered with his friends and he shared a meal with them. 